0: welcome to the school run i'm jane and i'm Liv, and we are going to share with you the best conversations we have on our school run we will
1: invite guests and debate topics that affect and resonate with every generation
0: we all remember our own school run so maybe have a think about yours what do you remember And welcome to another episode of The School Run. Um, Today we are joined by Jenny Dunman, my award-winning friend in franchising, Jenny is a founder and CEO of Daisy First Aid which provides first aid training across the UK and Jenny's going to tell us more about that I'm sure. She's an ex-police detective sergeant, proud wife, mum of three, speaker and global success and mindset trainer so I'm sure that today's episode is going to be insightful and fun. Thank you for joining us Jenny. Oh, I'm so excited, Jane. Thank you so much for having me. Hi, Liv. Hi. Um, we're really excited. So um, where do we start? Like, we became friends several years ago, didn't we, in we did. in the business world. Um, tell us about you. What was school like and what's led you to where you are today?
2: Gosh, I think, I, I was thinking about this before we came on and I was thinking, where does this start? Because I feel like I've been, really different people from like childhood to teen sort of young adult now where I am now it's been such a such a journey um I think as a, as a child and, a, and being at school I can be described best as like an in-betweener which is definitely not a bad thing I was like I coasted through school like I wasn't exceptionally bright and I wasn't a naughty kid I just coasted like midway through the centre I I'd be very surprised if any teacher even remembers me
0: like, <laughs> sort of, like wallpaper <laughs> <laughs> how do you feel about that Liv is that is that how you see it at school like the people that are in the minds of the teachers and I don't know yeah
1: to be honest that's how I kind of feel I mean I'm not up there with like the super intelligent people but then I also I'm not really you know like naughty, as you said, but yeah, I think that's just like a nice place to be,
2: just sat in the middle, like yeah, I feel like it's a great place to be, because I feel like there's a lot of pressure on you when you're a kid, from so yeah. many different ways, you're still learning aren't you, you're still growing into the person that you're going to be, so just to sort of as long as you're happy, just going through the going through the middle, um, and <laughs> yeah, I, I say that to my children, you know don't worry, just if you're happy, then I'm happy. yeah
0: yeah absolutely and tell us about your children so how old are they and what what are they pursuing in life how do they view being at school and college or or whatever age they're up to
2: yes I've got Benny who's nine and then I've got Lottie who's coming up 13 and then I've got Daisy who's coming up 15 um but yeah I mean they they like school they have friends in school I wouldn't say they loved school um you know I think they're very much like I was they're just in us but enjoying enjoying the time that they're there, really.
0: Yeah, brilliant. And so, in terms of you know, when you were at school, do, what did you have? A, a, did you know what you wanted to be when you grew up? In inverted commas, do you know what? When I was younger,
2: I I had quite um, an unhappy, very very early childhood. So I put a label on myself as being naturally unlucky, and I carried that through for a really, really long time. So all through school, I would always say, I'm just the unlucky one. No good things ever happen to me. I'm unlucky. My life's like a rollercoaster. I remember all these negative words that I used to tell myself. I'm not sure whether I necessarily voiced them to other people, but I certainly told myself a lot, lot of negative things. I definitely thought that good things happened to other people. And the weird thing is, when I look back now, I realise that actually... You know, having been in the police force and seen some horrific things, I actually was a very lucky child and lots of great things did happen to me. I never saw it. I never let myself believe it. And I never even recognised it, which I find so unbelievable now. I guess that's why as a mum now, I'm always the one that wants to highlight when something good happens, um, you know, for my children, because I really didn't do that for myself.
0: Yeah and it's interesting isn't it the language that we use and we don't know about that back then but it can have a real impact can't it Oh my
2: goodness such an impact because if i could have gone back to my uh, you know my myself back then i would say you know it's alright to sometimes feel anxious it's okay to sometimes feel afraid or intimidated or you know all of these emotions, which now, as a grown up as an adult, I know are completely normal, but when I was that kid, that child, I thought that everyone else had their stuff together, and everyone else knew what they were doing, and I was the only one that just had no idea, <laughs>
1: yeah, and I think that's like multiplied with obviously now me being a teenager now with with like um social media and not just comparing yourselves to people at school, but you basically can compare yourself to everyone else in the world.
2: Yeah.
1: You can literally compare your life to anyone if you search them up. And that can have, I mean, it can have a positive impact on a lot of people. And I think social media can be used for really, really good things, but it also can be really detrimental to people if you're constantly comparing. someone when actually their life what they're putting out isn't actually realistic?
2: I completely agree Liv, I mean I actually am glad that I wasn't around as a child when social media was there because yeah, I think you have an immense amount of pressure um, to conform to these photoshopped people or the highlights that they have in their life and you you know it takes a strong person to look back and be like that's probably not their life but you know, we had fans, we were fans of people back in the days and posters on the walls and stuff. But we didn't have that level of social media awareness of what celebrities for like. or indeed anybody else.
0: Yeah. Now, in fact, what we had, Jenny, I mean, you know, we had the magazines, didn't we? Like smash hits or
2: yeah.
0: I can't even remember the magazines that were around or what you were reading or looking at. But you're right. Posters on the wall, maybe watching Top of the Pops at the weekend. Yeah. And that was it, wasn't it? There was nothing else influencing us. It was
2: like, just 17, I used to read, I used to read More magazine, which was a little bit risque for like the teenagers, do you remember? Um, yeah. And yeah, and you, you'd look at somebody, but you know that it was just somebody that had a photo shoot. There wasn't that level of, um, of believability that there is in social media now. It's like almost insane. And actually, I think it's moved on a bit now because back before then, people didn't really realise that put filters on and and, and airbrush people. But now everybody can do it. I think people now realise that, you know, people don't actually look like that in real life.
0: (laughs) Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. So, you know, did you go all the way through school up to 18? Did you go to college, university? What was your route?
2: Yeah, I left school at 16. I was well ready. Um, I did GCSEs, did okay. I have got eight GCSEs. Um, Eight passes I was really happy with that did not have a clue what I wanted to do I really and I think I went to like a careers advisor like you do and they were like well you could be a nurse or you could be a secretary or you could be a, you know a police officer there was like these standard standard <laughs> occupations that you could take and I was just like I don't know I'm 16 so um I ended up doing Uh, working in retail for a while, which I actually loved and I think gave me a really, really good grounding in customer service, how to deal with people, both happy people and not so happy people. Um, So I I really enjoyed that side of things. I loved that kind of customer-facing role and I think I was really good at it. Um, Then I went and did a little bit of work in Canary Wharf, did some office work, which I have to say, absolutely not for me. that rep- really that repetitive same thing every day there 's no change there's the same people, the same office, the same lunch, oh my god, and I, I just remember sitting there thinking i i just can 't do this for the rest of my life
0: no that 's <laughs> no, really interesting. Yeah, that, that was
1: me because in last summer, I was working as in this tiny little cafe as a waitress, and I just remember. When I left because I was focusing on my exams, um, I should remember it was just so repetitive, and it was like the same. I mean, honestly, I loved working like the customers, like the regular customers that come in, and you'd get to know what they ordered as the drinks, and that was all lovely, and I liked having the conversations with those people. But it was all the same, yeah. and then I looked at Mum's job, and I thought, as a CEO, you like you do different. Like one day you'll be answering a, a complaint, one day you'll be doing like finance, one day you'll be doing marketing and I thought that's just so many things you have to juggle and that was more exciting to me than something repetitive.
2: Yeah. And some people love it, don't they? Some people love yeah. the office environment. They know what they're doing, they're confident in their role and they, they don't need yeah. that um they don't need to feel that they need to expand or do different things and it just suits them perfectly and I and I respect that completely yeah not for me though <laughs> like like the structure of
0: their job and they know that the routines and the yeah. and the boundaries and that you like you say that's okay and I think it's working out as a young person who you are and and discovering and finding out you know what your place in the world and but really knowing yourself and I guess that that's missing from school who was who was the person that helped you to understand you Jenny? or was that all your own work? Or was there someone who who really opened your eyes?
2: Yeah, I thought about this question, actually. And if I'm completely honest, I didn't have any mentors or role models at all that, I, that, that pop into my head at all during school. Like I said, I think I just quietly slipped under the radar. Um, I I honestly think that my later work has all come from my inner my inner workings. I've worked very much on myself, my own mental health, doing what I can to become a better person. And obviously I'm still working on that. Like none of us know everything. It's a constant, you know, work in progress. But I think when I realized that the only person that can change you is you, the only person that can make those better decisions is you. And, you know, you can't blame other people or your past or things that have happened on the way that you behave now. The only person that can do that is you. Um, so have I got a mentor? I've got loads now. There's loads of people that I respect, loads of people in our industry, loads of people that obviously have like a a bigger profile, but, but mostly people that I've met along the way that, and I can take bits from and be like, I massively respect that. I've learned this from you. I've learned that from you.
0: Multiple, multiple people. Yeah. And I think that it's really interesting, is it? Is that because we're, we become open to it in the, I guess, the roles that we have, we're opened up to that. Should we, a question, should we be giving teenagers and children in schools an approach where they do open themselves up and have some of that self-development learning?
1: Just- yeah. you. I mean, you've got to, I mean, then when you, when you were talking about how you've learned things from different people along the way, I mean, that's, at school you know I've, I've I've talked about this before in one of the first episodes, but how it's not built for teamwork. you have to do everything individually you know, do your homework by yourself you know co- don't copy people, but after a lesson, i'd go to my friends who were in top set maths and I'd say, "Oh, what were you doing in your lesson? She'd teach me, and I'd learn even more than I did kind of in my lesson, but I was learning from other people, and they were all helping me, and that's how i I think you learn the most knowledge from other people around you. I mean, like you said, you don't know everything and you need those people around you that are going to push you and challenge you every
2: day. Absolutely. And it's the people around that you want to listen to, isn't it? You know, not the people that you're forced to listen to because that's what you have to do. It's the people that you genuinely find it interesting, like your friends or, you know, know, people around you, your colleagues. That's a really interesting point, actually. Yeah, I like that.
0: It's, it is interesting so you have the office job at canary wharf for people we're in the northwest of england jenny so i obviously know where canary wharf is and and what that is but it's a it's a a place within london that's all office blocks isn't it it's the financial and administration and it's you know very office driven isn't it
2: absolutely it is all offices high rise offices i have to say you know being very young um 1920 great nightlife, loads of friends, going out, having a, you know, a really lovely time outside of work. But yes, it is just full of office workers.
0: (laughs) (laughs) So, so university for you and that route and being channeled down that route wasn't the route you took, was it not? I mean, this is things that I don't know about you, but what, what happened after Canary Wharf?
2: Yeah. University for me was never an option. It was never something that was discussed at home it was something that none of my family or extended family had ever done. Um, we come from quite a working class family um, who are all grafters. They all work extremely hard, but um, not from a university background. So it wasn't something that was ever ever an option and I never gave it any consideration. Um, I think perhaps if I'd have known what I wanted to do for a living and obviously I would need a degree to get it, then perhaps I would have looked further into it but um but no most of my school friends did go but it wasn't something that I considered
0: no and I don't think it's for everybody and I actually you know there's a lot of schools that do sort of focus on that and that's the goal and actually there's so much more to life it's not for everyone and it's not the only route to being happy and successful yeah it's like I mean where I've
1: been looking around all these colleges and one of the main slides you put on the board is like the Cambridge and Oxford how many applicants get into those top universities and it's one of the main things that kind of colleges or sick forms like pride themselves on how many people they get into Cambridge and Oxford and I think yeah but I mean s- some people that haven't been to university probably do so much better than some of them do a lot better than those who have been to university because it's more about I mean obviously I mean I've never been to university but it's and I I wouldn't go back (laughs) and it's all kind of you know in a classroom I guess you don't really get experience of the outside world whereas if you look at someone that maybe didn't go in to like to university and had maybe a job straight away they've got the having more experience of the world around them, they're not like enclosed in a campus or a, or a classroom for another how many years.
0: Mm. It's yeah. interesting, isn't it, Jenny? Because I suppose you're right. If you know you want to be a doctor and you've got to do that route, then of course you've got no option, have you? Exactly.
2: And you know what? Life experience
0: is, oh my God, so valuable.
2: You know, if you do end up in the workplace um, younger and you decide not to go down, the, the you know, that route, some of the most happiest, the most successful people I know left school early or, you know, left school up before or after their A-levels and didn't go to uni. Obviously, I've got friends that did and did amazingly well as well, but I just feel like there is a lot of pressure to keep, keep going with this education system. But actually, life experience is so invaluable. I've actually got a friend. She's super, super intelligent. She's amazing. Um, and she went to uni and she said that she has gotten... this is her words, not mine. She doesn't have any common sense. She said, I'm not streetwise. I don't have any common sense. She said, I can sit with my extremely other extremely clever friends and we'll have debates and conversations. She says, but put me out on the street. I just, I I feel like a fish out of water. I just don't know. I just don't know. I
0: just don't fit in. That's really interesting, isn't it? It is very, very interesting. And and you're just so right. It's courses for courses and finding yourself and developing and finding your place in the world. And you're right, life experience is everything, isn't it? Um. So where did, where did you go? How did you end up in the police and what was that journey like?
2: Yeah, I mean, life experience, I think, is what got me into the police and I think is what made me so good at my job. And that's because I had been I was going to say on the streets that I don't mean like on the streets, you know, working. I mean, I was used to hanging on the streets. I was used to hanging around with people. Um, I was probably not, I probably didn't put myself into the best crowds. In fact, I'm playing it down. I put myself into some terrible crowds when I was a teenager. As I say, I wasn't very happy. I didn't really have any self love. So I hang out with people like me. And this is where, that like attracts like, that power of positivity, law of attraction, all comes in. I was attracting negative people into my life because that's exactly who I was. Um, and I can't even remember where I was going with that now. Um, oh, yes. Ended, to the ended up in the police, yeah. So um, going into the police at that time meant that you got accommodation, you got food, um, you got paid, and you had a job. So it ticked all of my boxes. How old, how old were you at
0: this point, Jenny?
2: So I applied when I was nineteen, and I started when I was twenty-one. Okay. Um, yes. So I, I t- it ticked all the boxes. Plus, I needed to remove myself from the negative people. I definitely knew that, and I loved it. I absolutely loved it. I went to work in central London. I found myself surrounded by people that had each other's backs, that supported each other. I loved, and this is going to sound weird, I loved helping victims of crime. You know, people that had been through adversity or a traumatic event, I really found my place. I really found I was good at it. And I I had that empathic side that I didn't even realize I had um so i moved so you, on you,
0: i suppose from that empathy piece you understood people i guess you brought your own personal experiences you know to that and you you were able to make an impact and that's important isn't it yeah it's
2: funny because you never really know the impact that you have on people because you don't really hear what happened you know the end result you know really you don't really get to know them as a person You'd like to just think that, you know, even if momentarily you got them to a place of safety or you put somebody away, um, you know, that committed a crime against them, I take pride that I had a part in that. Um, I, From a, sort of dealing with the suspect's points of view and dealing with the violence and things that we came across, I didn't really have any fear. So I suppose that life experience again, led me to not having fear of dealing with violent confrontational people, whereas lots of other people really would struggle with that. Um, whereas at the time, I'm completely different now. I've got three children. I'm a complete wimp. But, uh, <laughs> but at the time I was, I was tough. I was tough, but I, I really just remember that, um, you know, there's certain stories that will always stick in my head. And I just think, yeah, I, I, I was part of that. And I, I really, I wonder what she's doing now, and I wonder what happened. And
1: yeah, yeah I that's. It. I mean, I, I don't know. For me, I've always found like a police being in the police like a really scary job because of all the things that you see. And I, I just wonder how, when you were doing your job and you saw all, all the like violence and everything, how when you came home, you separated that, like separated your work from home because I think it would like stick with me and I'd be thinking about it all
2: night. Do you know what? That's a, such a really good question and it's quite relevant actually because there was no aftercare when you deal with traumatic events. There's there, I believe there is now, but there wasn't at the time any kind of mental health training or there was no kind of follow-up how you feeling after you dealt with whatever it was. Um, when I was in the police, you dealt with things by going down to the pub with your colleagues and drinking through it. And then you would then go home drunk and then be back at work the next day. And that that is the lifestyle that we led. And I don't advocate it at all because all you do is you just suppress.
0: And compound everything. Yeah,
2: absolutely, absolutely. And I believe there's, you know, so much support now, but back then there really, really wasn't. So how did I deal with it? I don't know. I think I probably did, did, did compound it. Um, I don't think that I have much PTSD, but probably if a doctor analysed me, I, perhaps I probably do.
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And um, I'm really interested to know, and maybe some young people that are listening to this, because I know Olivia has got followers of her age. and um, we've had such amazing support since we started, um, this podcast, You know, someone who wants to go into the police, and I know you're talking many years ago now of your experience, but what was the application process like? What sort of training was expected of you? Can you remember that? Can you share any of that?
2: Yeah, so I remember you definitely had to have um, maths and English GCSE passes. Um, You had to do a fitness test, which is, um, it was quite a lot harder back then. Um, I think it's different now. Um, you had to be put in scenarios. So you had to go into a scenario. How would you deal with this? But having had no police knowledge, it was fairly like, you know, simple. Um, what else did we have to do? Um, I think we had to do some sort of written and maths tests back then.
0: Um, but Was there any sort of psychometric profiling? Was there any in your in your memory of that? I guess they were doing it on the in the process, perhaps, rather than something quite formulaic.
2: Yeah, I think technology has massively changed now, but a lot of it was all done face-to-face interviews. So you would be on an interview panel um, and they would ask you questions um, and you would have to answer, you know, in the right way. I think I can remember one of them was like, so you're out and your friend's, smoking cannabis, what would you do? You know, that kind of questioning was at the time, or what if your friend said something and it was racist, what would you do? And it was those kind of questions. So it wouldn't necessarily be like a police related answer they're looking for. They're just looking for the right
0: type of person to join. Yeah, interesting. And I'm not being funny, but central London policing must be totally different to anywhere else in the country.
2: I think so. Yeah. I mean, uh, it, it has everything from gangland violence to um, domestics to the murders, the, the the West End nightlife and the violence there and the shoplifting. I I guess you have a little bit of everything there. So I feel really fortunate that I got to experience, um, a whole range of stuff. Um, but I did end up going into, um, a department called Sapphire, which is the sexual offences unit, um, where we would deal with women that had been victims of sexual offences. And then we'd also deal with um, arresting the um, offenders as well, so and I absolutely loved it. Yeah, <laughs> I love bringing must, people to justice.
0: <laughs> you, you must be really good. Well, I know you are. I, I know this before you even ask this question, but really good at dynamically risk assessing a situation and going in and reading it and and dealing with it. I'm thinking now from your first aid that you've gone on to develop, but but ultimately being a police officer and, and getting that call and ending up in a situation, having to deal with it.
2: Yeah, massively. And I think if you were to consider a job like the police or actually any emergency services jobs, um, that is something you would need to consider, whether or not you can stay calm in a crisis or calm in an environment that you don't, when you don't know exactly what's happening. Um if you're the sort of person that thrives on that and loves it and thinks finds it really interesting, then that is probably a job that you could look at. Um, if you're the person that goes, oh my God, I would absolutely hate that, I'm terrified I'd run away, then it might be a different job for you. Yeah, absolutely. Well,
0: how do you feel about it? Because the idea of coming on the podcast was to look at the range of careers that people do, the pivoting that they do from career to career. Um, yeah, I mean... I feel like I'm, I'm quite good in
1: stressful situations that I wouldn't run probably mostly because I love to help people and I re, I really like to, you know, make sure they're okay and I like to fix things. So I probably would keep going and keep going and keep going until, you know, I've, I've helped them. I'm just trying to say, I feel like I'm watching an episode of Happy Valley <laughs> because it's like
0: talking to a police officer. It just it's like, well, Jenny, it's, it, she was a police officer, not now. We're going to go on to her famous story, but are you quite overwhelmed? Yeah,
1: it's it's amazing to listen
0: to. Oh, <laughs> no. It is amazing to listen to, and it's things that I don't know about you, Jenny. So, how long were you in the police force? Where did you get to with that, and then wh- where was the change? So I did 14 years
2: um, in the Met and uh, the Metropolitan Police. And um, yeah, I feel massively privileged. I feel massively privileged that I got to do that. Um, I went down the promotion route. Well, I went down the detective route first. firstly. Um, I was definitely found that I was much better um investigating crime than being the uniformed officer that went to answer calls. So I've really found that that was my niche. And that's the lovely thing about the police is there's so many different departments and areas that you can go into. So you can find the one that you just love the most. Um, so I did the detective exam and became a detective constable. And then I decided that I was going to get promoted um to detective sergeant and manage
0: my own wow. team. Um, so yeah, if you are, I think as a detective sergeant, you're in your own clothes. I'm I'm thinking Happy Valley, and I'm thinking yeah. you know of the different um, <sighs> police dramas that we have on the TV. So you were plain clothed and you did this sort of undercover detective work.
2: <laughs> not quite <laughs> undercover, but yes, detective absolutely had in plain clothes. So yeah, we would rock up in our suits and um yeah, and we'd attend uh, crime scenes and we'd sort of investigate it after the events happened. So um yeah, not quite as not quite as exciting as Happy Valley. But sometimes, sometimes <laughs> it was, but
0: then you've all the extra bits of paperwork the, they don't show you. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and all the stats and, and data and, and all of yeah. that stuff. Yeah, amazing. And what's so your time in the police fourteen years there and then what happened?
2: So I had two children when I was in the police and then I was pregnant with my third. And that's when I decided that I was going to go on a career break, um, mainly because I was juggling shift patterns and children and it wasn't quite working out for me. And um, the thing with being a detective is if you've got prisoners in custody, you can't go home. You have to stay until it's dealt with. And obviously, if you've got young children and childcare, and it all just became a muddle. So I decided that I was going to take a five-year career break and concentrate on my family. Um And so that's what I did. So I, I took the career break when I was pregnant with Benny. And... um and then
0: something happened, which changed everything. <laughs> oh, exciting. Exciting. OK. So, um, I mean, that must have been a hard decision as well, because if you love your job and, you know, you've got a great team and but obviously you love your family more. But it's a balancing act to make that tough decision, isn't it?
2: It is. It is. And I think I I didn't expect the feeling of my priorities changing quite as much as they did when I had my children. In my head, I thought, yeah, I just have children and carry on working. And then when they were born, I just felt everything shift so differently. I became very aware of my own personal safety at work. Um, I became very aware and, and actually a little bit, um, I was going to say neurotic, that's probably the wrong word, but really um, quite overprotective of them. Whereas I probably knew too much I probably saw too much yes Um, so it was definitely the right decision for me just to to step back and take that bit of time I needed
0: and very very brave thing to do I have to say it's quite a brave thing and also being married to a firefighter so you know frontline emergency services and public service your pension and everything else that comes with that there's lots of considerations these aren't easy decisions to make are they
2: no, and I think that was, the, that was the main thing that everybody kept going on about. You can't leave because of your pension. And, I, and my response was, I don't even know if I'm going to live to draw my pension. <laughs> like, <laughs> and I might as well enjoy life now.
0: Yeah, it's really interesting. But the young young people don't really... I remember I had to have conversations with Olivia on our school run about pensions and public sector and private sector and, and, how, and salaries and those kind of things. They don't learn that in school, but you, you learn fast as an adult, don't you?
2: don't you just yeah absolutely but I think I would say to my children yes it's of course it's important to plan for the future absolutely but don't plan for the future if it impacts your time now hi everyone we hope you're enjoying this episode so far we're just cutting in
1: to say if you're enjoying our podcast please click the follow button on whichever platform you're listening on and please leave us a review we'd be so grateful for your support and feedback podcasts are free to listen to but if you are loving our school run chats and debates please consider buying us a virtual coffee the link will be in the description of every podcast episode and it will also be in the bio of our instagram which is at the school run underscore official and why not give it a follow while you're there so you can see all the updates and get sneak peeks at upcoming episodes thank you so much and happy
0: listening so what happened tell us that this big change.
2: So I was sitting in a coffee shop with a really good friend of mine and um, we had our babies in high chairs. She had her baby in one and I had my son in the other. And we were having a chat, as you do, and her daughter started choking. And it was one of those moments where she didn't know what to do, so she froze and panicked. And being a police officer, we obviously have first aid training every year. Mm -hmm. Um, and I was able to intervene, pick the child up, do some choking techniques on her and remove the blockage. And her daughter was absolutely
0: fine. Brilliant. Wow. Wow. What a life changing moment. Um,
2: so yeah, it wasn't life changing at that time because for me, you know, you just go into autopilot and you do what you got to do. And, and actually the daughter was so fine that she continued eating the cookie (laughs) <laughs> you know, straight away after I mean she was that fine, um but what I did do is I went home to my husband that night and I said, "Why don't parents know this? I can't get my head around why we go to all these amazing baby groups and you know prenatal postnatal you know beautiful groups but but nobody teaches us what to do if our child has an accident or they get ill or they choke." And he was like, yeah, that's a good point, actually. So I did a little bit of searching online. And there was obviously like the, the big corporate first aid companies that do the qualified courses. You can go, you know, for two days, three days. But there was nothing just for parents, just for parents to learn short little tips. I didn't want to overload. And I certainly didn't want to parents. But I felt it was really important that they learned the basics. yeah. So, I decided because statutory maternity pay is terrible. Uh, so, I was really struggling with money anyway, that I would do a couple of classes just in my local pavilion, just to teach the local mums just a few, just a few tips. Um, so, I created my own little lesson plan, got myself some mannequins. I did the courses that I needed to do. I think the whole thing cost me about £500 pounds to get everything together. Um, and I think I've sold two spaces for this two hour course and the rest were just my mates. <laughs> 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 just just to put bums on seats and they brought their babies along as well. And so I gave them a class. And um it was so well received that I kept doing it and then I I decided that I would do it in homes as well. And it got to the point where I was becoming so busy that I needed to make a decision because I was got I'd gone from getting time back with my family to suddenly being so busy that I was almost going back to being too busy again um so cut a very long story short I decided
0: to franchise and that is where we are now it's amazing and why so your company now is called Daisy First Aid um why Daisy First Aid how did the name come about and how long have you been going and tell us a little bit about that
2: yeah the name was um it's funny because I'd never intended this to be what it is. You know, I intended it just to be my little buffer, for my statutory maternity pay. My oldest daughter is called Daisy. And I thought, oh, that's cute. That's cute. And also with ups a daisy, you know, like you say to the kids when they like fall over. And I thought, well, that just has a really like, double meaning to it that just sounds really cute and um I get asked it a lot and now I feel I I feel silly saying well actually it's my daughter's name but that that is why it started yeah (laughs) no it's brilliant and
0: you've built a fabulous fabulous brand so I guess you saw the success and thought well how do I take it further and scale it and the decision to leave the police how long have you been doing Daisy First Aid and and I know that you're all over the country but what's the impact you're having
2: yeah we we're, we're, we're 10 years now just just 10 years so it's been um, it's been a very very fast 10 years i don't even know where it's gone um but we have gone from you know earning 500 pounds a month to earning significantly more we've got um 106 territories now across the uk it's incredible yeah um, yeah and we train. we've trained over 100,000 parents we've saved quite a few lives as well I think that's probably the best bit about the whole business is getting like messages from parents that have done the course and then they've gone on to use the techniques we've taught them to save their children I mean that's just best best ever
0: best feeling and who who's attracted to joining you in a franchise I mean not many people know about franchising your children will my daughter does but it's not a common thing is it
2: it's not actually, and I think you know we we love to shout about it, as you know jane we love we love to um to shout a lot, but you know franchising is about having your own business and being self employed but having that those arms around you of a brand of people looking after you and having the support of both your peers and a franchisor and having a business model that is already tri- trialed tested, and we know works um uh, rather than going into being self employed all by yourself um, which is, uh, you know, which is scary. I mean, there's an awful lot of hats you need to wear as self-employed. So, um, it's much more likely that someone would come into a franchise and succeed than I think statistically than if someone was to be self-employed and try and do it by themselves.
0: Yeah. And I think it's, um, I don't know whether these stats are up to date, but the ones that always stick in my mind is that nine in 10 new businesses fail, but one in 10 franchises fail. So it's a safer route, isn't it? Because the The hurdles have been overcome. The mistakes have been made.
2: Absolutely, that is an impressive start, isn't it? It is. Yeah, it is. Yeah. I
1: mean, but I mean, when I listen to when you're on the phone, and I'm always in the car listening to all these people, all these franchises that seem to know me, and I just don't know who they are. But I was thinking, you said the mistakes have already been made, but then, like, I listen to a lot of your franchises come to you for advice with their own struggles in their own business and I wonder if because you say all the mistakes have been made when when your franchisees ring you up and have a problem is there any times where you know you've never like heard of that problem you've never actually had to deal with that problem yourself and it's totally new
0: let Jenny answer that question
2: Oh my God! Yes.
0: <laughs> oh God. But we absolutely. But you navigate it we together. Never stop learning, don't you? you yeah. Navigate it together. And
2: that's the beauty of it, you know. We've got a collective of, of really experienced trainers, new trainers, and we, yeah, absolutely, we navigate it together. We will always learn that there will be always be challenges that we, you know, we come across and overcome. And I think as long as you appreciate that, that, that and accept it then it becomes a lot easier i think in my very early journeys if i got something or if i felt like i got something wrong i'd panic and think oh no what's everyone going to think whereas i think now with being a little bit older wiser and be a bit more experienced i have the wisdom to look back and be like i don't know the answer to that let's sort it out
0: yeah let's yeah. let's find the answer yeah so you're never alone you're thinking of doing business studies at college aren't you yeah and you know that one module's on franchising, which I think is great that they've got it in a A level Business Studies course. But I'm really going to scrutinise what they're actually taught. <laughs> <laughs>
2: You'll be going in there, going, "Oh, I'll do the talk." <laughs> <laughs>
0: Me and you will do it together, Jenny. We'll do it together. Um, and, yeah. and my first memory of you was um, I heard a little bit of your story about your police background, and I always see you giving back a lot. Um, talks sponsoring awards wanting to build other people up and that's so me inside that it's that pay it forward thing um yeah. you pride yourself on that don't you why is it why is it so important
2: yeah and i think that's why we you know we resonate with each other so well um that we both have that in mind i just love seeing other people succeed there's nothing, there's no better feeling than watching other people celebrate and you can celebrate with them. I'm totally not about any negativity. I can't bear it when I see people bashing others. I really, really, you know, I think I might've said in, you know, before I keep my circle really tight. The people that I know, like, and trust, I don't really ever allow any negative people. I don't really allow anyone that brings me down into my circle. And I'm quite, um, yeah, I guess I'm quite strict of that. It's not that I wouldn't allow someone, you know, that has problems or has an issue. Of course not, you know, and I'll be there to support. But, you know, and I love this expression, the drains and radiators. Yeah. You know, like in some people are just drains and they just suck the life out of you and they're just drained with their negativity. And there are other people you come across in life and they they just radiate and you just want
0: to hang out with them. Yeah, I- so there are none,
2: no drains in my life. Yeah, fountains, <laughs> what
0: was the other one we heard when we did a, an, an interview with a podcast? Fountains and fountains and drains, I think, similar scenario where you want those that, where you fill each other up. Yeah. It's that connection, isn't it? Definitely,
2: and I feel like you, even that needs to be taught more in school. Yeah,
1: yeah I, I, you know, I totally agree. When you say you like to see people succeed, I mean, obviously, f- for me in school, it's all about comparing each other's grades and who got the best grade. It's, I mean, for me, my year... My, I mean, this is, I love this. I mean, I'm the same as you. I like people around me with, you know, good vibes, positive vibes. And I remember in my year 10 mocks were awful and I worked really, really hard on my year 11 mocks. And I remember when I got my results back the people that sat next to me were happier for me than they were for themselves because they knew how hard I'd worked and I mean that's something that I don't really see because even with your friends and you say oh yeah that's amazing usually inside you're thinking oh they've done better than me or you know I've done better than them and I just think you should be we should be just helping everyone to just do as best as they can whether it's a, a nine or whether someone's best is a nine, whether someone's best is a five, then, you know, we should be supporting them to just do the best that they can.
2: Oh, yes, Liz, that's what we need. A hundred percent. We need you to do the best that you can do, the best that you can be, regardless of everybody else, you know? I completely agree. Um, And the funny thing is, you probably won't ever forget that, that kindness that your friendship yeah. showed, you know, that time, you know, it's stuck in your mind because... They showed that kindness, and mm-hmm. oh, we, the world needs more of this. Yeah, it, it does.
0: absolutely more does. More
2: kindness and less comparing. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> less yeah.
0: comparing and more kindness. It's good. It's good. So just as as we draw this to an end, um, tell us now, because obviously I had, I know we're friends and we spend time at events together and things, but um, I was searching up Jenny and 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 all the things that you've done, and you now you now do an awful lot of speaking and also. This success coaching, do you want to just touch on that a little bit because again, it's another chapter, isn't it?
2: It is, and that that chapter came from Covid actually, which is you know I think Covid was such a weird time, you know for so many people um but for me i I started talking to some franchisors that were really struggling, um just having a chat on the phone, nothing more um and then it kind of followed on that one franchisor mentioned it to a Facebook group and then they invited me to come and speak to a group of franchisors. And this is all free, like obviously there was no no money or anything like that. It was just let me do something because everyone's going through such a tough time. Um, and so the talks generated more interest than I, than I really thought. I was just kind of speaking from the heart. This is where I've been, this is where I am now and this is, these are my coping strategies. And, um, yeah, I just kept getting messages from people saying, can we work together? And I definitely had that little bit of imposter syndrome where I was like, "Oh, I don't know if I can do that. I don't know if I I don't want to dip into that world of coaching someone for money. I don't, I'm not quite there yet. So I sat on it for, for a while. And then I had a conversation with um, some colleagues and they were like, what's holding you back? And I said, I've just got this block, this unworthy block that I just can't shift.
0: Um, and actually what past happened again, like something that just because cre- we've got to keep addressing those little neurons in our brain that draws back to where we were.
2: Absolutely. And I remember specifically it takes me back to being and it's even before school. It's a really early stage of that feeling of unworthiness. Um, and it's and it's still manifests. You know, I'm very good now and I, I clear my blockages and my, as much as possible. That sounded a bit odd. Um, but, yeah. <laughs> but yeah, absolutely. And this is why everyone is a work in progress, because things will still come up in your life that will just throw a curveball. And I always know that when I start to feel anxious, or if I start to feel stressed, it's like an alarm clock for me. I know, right, time to work on myself. And I'll take myself away and I'll work on myself, whatever it is I need to work through. And I'm very strict that that alarm clock is listened to every single time without fail. Mm-hmm. Anyway, so yeah, I ended up doing, I ended up taking on my first client and I was super nervous. And the, the feedback was so incredible that, I just, oh, it's just so good.
0: <laughs> it was just so good.
2: <laughs> and it's just, it's, and you
0: You will teach this, you will guide your franchisees through that, you're, you're coaching daily without even knowing it. Then you yeah. get this feedback, but it's just pushing your comfort zones at every stage. Like, you felt the same doing this podcast as a 15 year old, didn't you? You were like, Yeah, proper pushing a comfort zone. <laughs> <laughs> you know, people will think this or the imposter think syndrome. How can I do a podcast or how can I be a coach? And, and actually, we can do whatever we set our mind to. Sometimes you just have to just ignore that little voice and just go, I'm not listening to you today. Just do it anyway. Yeah, good call, good call. Well, my mum always listens to, and she'll love having a shout out on the podcast, but she listens every week um, at 6am on a Monday. She said she can't get out of bed until about nine or 10 o'clock till she's got through everything she's got to listen to. But if we miss asking a guest a question, she's like, you didn't ask that question or they didn't answer that question. Um, so that's really interesting. But we always wrap up with a memory from your school run, either a school run with your children doing the school run or a school run that you had as a child and I wondered what you'd like to share with us on that topic or a number of things.
2: Do you know what, I thought about this because my school run, um, we moved home um, and I had an hour, 50 minutes, 50 minute walk on my own to school there and back every day so I didn't really have anyone to have that chit chat with, I just had myself and my own thoughts and what I realised was having your own time, your own peaceful time is so invaluable. And in a world where we are expected to do everything times a hundred, <laughs> you know, a million times and be good at everything and tick all the boxes, we very rarely get time actually just to be on our own, no distractions, and just give ourselves our own thinking time and work through things in our mind. So I think. My school run time was so invaluable. I love my me time. Yeah. I absolutely love it and I just don't think that we as a as a world actually just get enough
0: of that time. Yeah. Oh, really good memory. I love that. It's been absolutely delightful talking yeah, to so you. It's
2: amazing. Oh, thank you. I've loved it. Thank you
0: for being one of our first guests and being an early adopter and supporter and you know giving us encouragement and and sharing your story. It means a lot. Mm. I hope we've inspired at least one person out there today um and if we anyone wants to follow your company get in touch with you have first aid training for themselves as parents or you know someone's looking for a new career who are you looking for and where can they find you
2: oh amazing so yeah daisyfirstaid.com is our website um if you need your first aid done then yeah jump on and take a look Um, We're always looking for franchisees. Generally, um, we are looking for people who have a very happy disposition that are good with people we generally attract people like nurses paramedics police officers cabin crew teachers but actually you don't need any previous first aid experience we'll you know we can teach you everything you need to know so daisyfirstaid.com and you can also look at me up on jennydunman.com for all of my
0: coaching stuff as well oh that's brilliant thank you so much thank you and um i look forward to hearing everybody's feedback yeah (laughs) thank you Thank you so much for listening to another episode of the School Run podcast. If this is your first time listening, please go back and maybe listen to a few other episodes that we've previously recorded. There's lots of interesting topics, people's different roles and careers. We're sharing all of these stories to inspire and empower young people. That's our reason why. You don't have to have it all figured out at school. My co-host, Liv, is my 15-year-old daughter, and I just keep telling her, her that school is just a small chapter of of life and there's so much out there if you just say yes to those opportunities. You don't have to have it figured out at school. We're privileged to be having these conversations and we're really thankful to our guests for coming on. Please would you hit the follow button on the podcast channel that you're listening to us on. This will really help us to grow and improve the podcast long term. It'd be lovely if you could write us a review on the podcast that you listen to us on and maybe give us a star rating. Lots of people have already bought us a virtual coffee so that we can have some chats and plan the content going forward. The link is www.buymeacoffee.com forward slash the school run www.buymeacoffee.com forward slash the school run and as Liv has already told you in the middle of this episode we do have an Instagram the school run underscore official and we also have a LinkedIn showcase page would you just share this podcast if you've enjoyed it with one other person today that would really help us thank you so much don't forget to click that follow button and we'll see you again next Monday at 6 a.m.